and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. I've been reading a book, started reading this, honestly, like years ago now, and I put it away and then I got interested in it again. It's called Mornings on Horseback, and it's by David McCullough. Some of you may know him. He's a very famous author. He's written a number of very famous biographies. And this one is on the early life of Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt is a fascinating person. The whole Roosevelt family is, regardless of where you weigh in politically, just has people, just has the, the qualities, the traits of these people. They're fascinating. And this book, even if he wasn't a very prominent, um, prominent enough to be like one of those guys on Mount Rushmore prominent president, it would still be a fascinating story. And part of why I'm enjoying it is because, and part of the reason the author wrote it, is because it takes you back to a place and a time and a way of life that no longer exists. These things have changed. It's looking at this window into this world, and that world being um, the very upper uh, Manhattan of the mid-1800s. And life was so different. And it's just so fascinating to see some of these things. And I've often, I look at that and I look at things that are written or movies that you see from different times and places, and you wonder, what would it be like to live in that place? What would, what would that be like? And part of you, you know, tends to romanticize things and forget about things like indoor plumbing and think, I would like to do that. I would have liked to live there. Many times people would just like to have a different life, a new life. It's funny because... One of the characters in the book is Theodore Roosevelt's uncle, Robert. And Robert, he wanted a new life, and he started a new life right down the block from the current life he was living. He had a whole second family they didn't even know about. Nobody discovered this until the guy was dead. He managed to like get away with it his whole life. And right down the block, he actually had a second family. Um, I suppose that made it easier, you know, it's just like, I'm going out for a walk, honey, you know, and go visit that one, going out for a walk, honey, and it's almost kind of like a bad sitcom. <laughs> it wasn't that unusual in that day for somebody to just pick up and start a new family, although right down the same street was probably unusual. I had a great-grandfather who, you know, did the proverbial, I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. Went from Cleveland, I guess when, you know, I'd walk a mile for a camel, he ended up in Chicago and started a second family there. And he actually started a new business and became very lucrative. Meanwhile, his 
former wife had to take in laundry to just make ends meet. So not the greatest guy. But a lot of people get to a place in life where they do decide, I would like to have a whole new life. I'd like to change things. You don't have to move to Chicago. You don't have to leave your former family to do that. In fact, you can start anew at any time. Go to Romans chapter 6. It being a new year, I thought we'd look at some things about newness of life. A new life that we've been given. A new life that we were given at the time that we got born again and came to realize once we knew what that life was and began to walk in it. In Romans chapter 6, in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It says that we were baptized into Christ's death, and we just finished a, a number of weeks looking at John the Baptist and some things about baptism. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, we were identified with him, and we were baptized into his death. When he died, we died with him. And when he was raised, we were raised with him. And we were raised to receive newness of life. Newness of life. A new life. A new life. Whether you liked your old one before or not, you were given a new one. And no matter how great your old one was, the new one that you were given far exceeds it. No matter how wonderful, and it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't mean you have to say, oh, well, everything that came before that time was lousy, it was just horrible. But if you don't recognize how great the new life that we've been given is, you don't know enough about it. You haven't learned enough. You haven't seen it enough. You haven't experienced it enough if you don't see how much greater the newness of life that we have is. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been given a new life, and all things are made new for us. And that's what we're going to read about here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. And that word constraineth, if you, if you don't know the idiom behind it, the Eastern custom that it's referring to, uh, you, you miss out on how great that is. Constraining in the East was the practice where you had to... In our, we're using one of our idioms, twist somebody's arm to get them to, to accept a favor from you. Um, so let's say, for example, you wanted to invite, I wanted to invite Sheila to dinner, okay? If I just said, Sheila, I'd like you to come to dinner, she would be compelled to say, I can't make it, no matter what, no matter how much she wants to come. And she'd have to give some excuse why not. You know, I've got a lot going on today. I just can't make it. And then, to really prove that I wanted her to come, I'd ask her a second time. 
oh, Sheila, but everybody will be so disappointed. You know, everybody's looking forward to you coming. I told them that you were going to. We really want you here. And then she'd have to, again, turn you down a second time and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'd like to come, but my family's expecting me, and I don't want to disappoint them. Now I have to ask her a third time and say, but Sheila, we've made your favorite foods, you know, and, and this dinner is just especially for you. And then she could accept, and she could say, oh, okay, well, I really want to come all along. Now, that seems kind of silly to us, but that was the practice in the East. Constraining was that just continuing to ask over and over and over again, to continue to just say, I so want you to do this. And the love of Christ constrains us. It's the love of Christ that when we understand the love that he had for us and has for us, when we understand the love that went into God sending his son, when we recognize that and appreciate it, when it really hits home, it causes us to change. It causes us to live a new life. It causes us to recognize that there's, there's more to life than just living, than just making a living, than just getting by. There's more to life than just working and coming home and, you know, doing homework with the kids and a quick bite to eat and maybe watching a TV show and falling asleep. There's more to life than that. There's something so much greater. Verse 15. If one died, then we're all dead, 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. There's more to life, and that more doesn't come in just living for yourself. You know, that's when life is just reduced to that getting by. When it's just living for yourself. When it's just living to, you know, oh gosh, a weird reference that popped into my mind. And when I was in college, I read a book called McTeague. Um, won't get into this. But the book it focuses on the baser animalistic side of man. It's from a period of literature called the, the natural period. And natural not referring to like trees and flowers, but the nature of man. You know, this guy like ends up so, yeah, I won't go to the, it's, it's ridiculous. But man, it drove home a point to me of like how man, when he's reduced to just getting by, to just, then he's no better than that raccoon or that deer or that dog. I know you like dogs. Whatever. He's just no better. There's so much more. But it has to be from not living for ourselves, but living for the one who died for us. Verse 17, uh, 16. Wherefore, henceforth, wherefore, as a result of this, henceforth from now on, knowing no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things are become what? New. new. Old things are passed away. We're a new creature. We're a new person. You're a new person when you get to that place. And old things are passed away, and all things are become new. 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 You know? You like new things? You know, people like new things. I got a new car. Nobody goes, hey, I got rid of my new car, and I got an old car. <laughs> you know? Look at my old clothes. Look at these old shoes. I'm so happy I'm getting old. Nobody does that. You like new things, right? I look forward to a new body. Well, still looking forward to that, but nonetheless, right now, all things are become new. All things are new. And you know what? That all things become new was true at the time that you first experienced the new birth, and it's new each and every day you decide to live it. It's not just, gosh, I wish I had realized that when I got born again, that all things were new. I, I didn't really fully appreciate it then. Well, it's not too late. <laughs> it's never too late to fully appreciate that. All things are become new, verse 18, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And then it goes on to talk about how we're ambassadors. We've been given this new life with the intent that this new life would be one of not living for self, but living for God, living for the Lord Jesus Christ, living for others, because that's when life becomes truly fulfilling. Living for self is nothing more than the satisfying of the most basic needs. But living on that higher plane, that's when there's real enrichment. That's when there's real enjoyment. That's when there's a sense of real accomplishment. You know when you've done something to help somebody. You know if you've ever made a difference in somebody's life that that was something worth living for. You know that if in your whole life you can honestly say, I made this world a better place, I helped this person, then that was a life worth living. But if you're just living for self, Maybe not. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We have been, we've been given a new life because we've been made a new man. And it talks about that in Ephesians in a couple of places. We'll begin in chapter 2 in verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in times past, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we were. Now, it took me a long time to even understand what half of that's talking about, you know. Gentile, I don't remember people calling me Gentiles, uncircumcision, no, that's actually not the case. You know, with all these things that you read about and you don't even really necessarily understand. What I did understand was that part about without hope 
and without God in this world. And it's because that we weren't party to all those promises. We weren't part of, of all that stuff that God had for Israel. But then when Jesus Christ came along, things changed. Now, once a person accepts Jesus Christ as Lord, he's not in that state. He's not without hope. He's not without God. In fact, it goes on to say, verse 14, no, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, talking about Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, of two, one new man, so making peace. Of two. You know, before you were either a Jew or a Gentile, before Christ, that was your choices. Didn't matter what else, however you broke it down, you know, Greek or Roman or... English, Irish, Polish, whatever. It was Jew or Gentile. And then once Christ came along, once you accepted him, the church of God. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which are far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. We both have access unto God. We have entry. We have entry. You know, having access to somebody. You know, if they're an important person, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. You know, if somebody can, is a powerful person, if they can really do something, and you can get to them, and they're willing to do something for you, that's great. Well, we have access unto God. Through Christ, we can get to God. Before, we were without Him. That's a big difference. It's a big difference between being without God and having access to Him. Verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We're in God's family. We're in his household. That's a new life. That's a new life. It's a life worth living. That new life of who God's made us, how important we are, how precious we are to him, how special we are, all that that entails, all the rights that are ours as sons, being a part of this family, it's a new life. It's a new life. And it's one that we have a choice to enjoy or not enjoy. We enjoy it as we live it, as we act on it. And that's what chapter 4 talks about. Chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. To, to kind of put it in our terms today, don't, don't just live like everybody else. Don't just live like all the unbelievers. Don't just live like every fool out there that doesn't know God, that only cares about themselves. Don't, don't live that same life. 
You are so much more. You've been given so much more. And God wants us to simply use it. How many of you got something new for Christmas? Okay. No, tell me one thing you got new for Christmas. I got a Nintendo Switch. A Nintendo Switch. Do you like it? I love it. <laughs> Have you used it? Yes. If you didn't use it, would you be enjoying it? No. 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 Wouldn't it be silly to have a gift you really liked? A gift that was really fun? A gift that was really great and never used it? Wouldn't that be silly? Mm -hmm. You know what's even sillier? To have the gift that we've been given, <laughs> the gift of eternal life and everything that comes with it, the gift of Holy Spirit. To have that and not use it. To have this gift of, having, of being a new man and living still like the old man. Still living the same as if nothing changed. If nothing changed. I know that before I learned about the newness of life, I was miserable. I was miserable. I was so miserable that the day that I wasn't miserable was when the misery really hit me because I said, if this is as good as it gets, God, you've got to do something. You've got to help me because this is so empty. This is so pointless. This is so meaningless. I knew that when I was given a new life, it was worth living. We have to enjoy it, and we enjoy it as we live it, as we do something with it. That's why it says to not live like them, verse 18, having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And that's what it gets down to. People are blind. People are blind. And you know why they're blind? Because it says, Satan hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the gospel should shine unto them. He's blinded them. They're blind. Don't be surprised when they can't see it. Don't be surprised. You know, this, you know, borderline kind of cruel to say that this way, but, you know, if you were with somebody that was physically blind and you were standing next to him, go, wow, isn't that a great sunset? You, and they, they wouldn't be able to appreciate it. You, you would understand why, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you say to somebody, man, isn't this great stuff here in the Bible? Isn't God's word wonderful? And they don't see it, you know why? Because they're blind. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. They're blind. They cannot see it. But we can. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, you know, we, I won't get into defining all those words. You get the general idea what it's talking about there, right? You know, they're past feeling. People get to that way in life, that they're just, they're numb to life because they've numbed themselves with drugs or alcohol or because life has just numbed them to feeling anything anymore. And they're past feeling, and so, and so therefore, they just give themselves over to all this over-desires. And that's all that they've got. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have by taught, been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off 
concerning the former conversation, the former manner of living, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. This is how we enjoy this new life. We start off by putting off the old man, which is corrupt according to those deceitful lusts, that, you know, stuff that when we were past feeling that we were into. Verse 23, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the what? New man. New man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Put off and put on. Those words, put off and put on, it's the same words that in other places are translated to, to be clothed. Okay? And it's that simple. You know? How hard is it to change your clothes? For most of us, not too hard. Right? You can do that. right? You can take off that coat and put on a new coat. You can take off that shirt and put on a new shirt. God says, put off the old man and put on the new. Decide that that new man looks a lot better than those old rags. That that new life is a lot more desirable. And again, if it doesn't look that way to, to you, you haven't gotten your eyes opened enough yet. You've got to see it. You've got to dig into God's Word enough to recognize what you've been given. And develop that relationship with God and make it real enough. Now, you know, until you make it that real, then you don't see how great it is. But once you begin to experience it, once you begin putting it on, then you get it. Verse 25. Now you get into some of the specifics. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Notice with these things that we're reading, it's not just don't lie, but instead speak truth because we're members one of another. It's showing us a higher plane to live on. It's showing us that we can live in life greater, on the spiritual plane, not just on this carnal base scraping by, dog-eat-dog, claw-your-way-to-the-top world, but something so much richer, something with joy, with peace, with love. Verse 26, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but the higher plane... Rather, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. There's a big difference, right? There's the contrast between the guy who was living unto himself, doing whatever it took to take care of himself, stealing if necessary, to the guy who wants to actually give to him that needs. Honestly, when you really get down to it, when you really examine it, at the end of the day, who do you think is happier, honestly? That person that had to steal and do things that he was ashamed of? Or that person that was able to give to him that needs? And the satisfaction that comes with that. It's that higher plane, that new life we've been called to. Verse 28, 9. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but the higher plane, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. 
Who would you rather be? The guy that walks around just putting everybody down? The guy that goes around knocking everybody? The guy that tears people down? The guy that when you walk out of the room, people are like, glad he's gone. (laughs) Or the person that brightens your day? The person that makes you feel good? The person that builds you up? Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God is to not renew your mind. You grieve the Holy Spirit because it's going to waste. (laughs) You're not using that new man. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All that old stuff, all that ugly stuff. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What a contrast, you know? What a choice in life. The old life that's just disappointing misery, where you're miserable and you're making everybody else miserable, or that new life where you're experiencing the joy and the love and the peace, and you're able to spread that around. You know, I talked about a different life and a time. A couple of summers ago, Loretta and I went to see the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. And it had a very profound effect on me because I could just see in the pictures and the quotes on the wall, and you can practically feel it on the ground, the dreams of those people coming for a new life. Your ancestors, maybe not through Ellis Island, but they got here some way. They came with the dream and the hope of a new life. Well, we can fulfill that far beyond their wildest dreams as we live a new life with God. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.